I heard a story about some guys, some older guys who had went to grab some coffee one morning, and each of them were kind of commenting on different ailments that they were dealing with. And so one guy said, well, my arms have gotten so weak that I can hardly lift this cup of coffee. Another guy said, well, my cataracts are so bad, I can't even see my cup of coffee. Another one said, my hands are so crippled that I can't even write my own name. Fourth one said, what'd you say? Speak up, I can't hear you. My ears are so bad, I can't even hear anything. Fifth one said, I can't even turn my neck because my, my head because my neck hurts so bad. Sixth one said, you know what? I guess this is just the price we pay for getting old. Finally, the last guy spoke up and he said, you guys are all so negative. You need to think more positively. I mean, thank God that at least we can all still drive. So... No matter what ailments you've got going on, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not that bad, but there's so much to be thankful for. And certainly this time of year, we, we are thankful. Thanksgiving is a time to be thankful, but also Christmas is a time to be thankful and remember all the blessings that God has, has given us. And during this month, as we head into Christmas, we've been in a series entitled Less is More, in which we've been walking through a passage of Scripture and certainly During this time of year, everyone's kind of mindful, or a lot of people are mindful or thinking about the birth of Jesus, and rightfully so. And you find his story, the story of Jesus' birth in places like Matthew and in Luke. But we've been coming at it from a little bit of different angle, this this series, as we've been looking at a passage from Philippians chapter 2. And specifically, we've been zeroing in on this incredible reality of how our all-powerful, infinite God became less for the sake of all of us so that we can have more, not just at Christmas time, but hopefully year-round. So if you would, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 as we kind of close out our series this morning. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Paul writes, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father In this series, we've kind of gone through this passage and zeroed in on a couple of different aspects each week. First week, we talked about how Jesus, despite being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he he emptied himself in coming to earth. Last week, we talked about how uh, not only did he empty himself, but he also humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant, as Paul talks about, the very nature of a slave. And then this week, I want to focus in on what Paul says in verse 8, that not only did he humble himself, but he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. One of the things that we are working on, and I say working because it is still a work in progress, in our house is what we call first-time obedience. So one of the things that we try and instill in our kids is we don't want to have to ask you two, three, four, 20 times to do something, and it's a struggle, but we want to ask you the first time for you to do it, and, and you do it. 
Uh, I recently came across an article this week that I was reading, because I've been trying to just think of some different ideas. It's interesting how you raise, you have two different kids in the same household, and they are completely different kids, the way Maley is and the way Cruz is. But I was reading some stuff this week, and uh, I was reading about a mother she was talking about. It's actually a pastor's wife, and she was talking about just their struggle and what they were doing and, and some of the things that they were trying to do. And they started trying at an early age to instill this idea of first-time obedience in their kids. And one of the things that she said is they have a motto or kind of a, a, a saying that they say in their house. It is, we want you to obey right away, all the way, and in a happy way. So when we tell you something, we want you to obey right away, do it right away. We want you to obey all the way, do everything that we just told you to do, and in a happy way. The third one's probably a little bit of a stretch sometimes, but uh, in her words, she said, at least without huffing and puffing, right? So even if it's not just in a, in a super happy way, at least without huffing and, and puffing. And she said, you know, most of the time she joked, we figured two out of three wasn't bad. But I, as, as I read that article and I was thinking about what we're talking about, this week and the idea of, of obedience and that idea of obeying right away, all the way, and, and in a happy way, I started thinking about how, how often do I obey God that way? You know, when, when God asks me to do something or I read something in Scripture, how often do I obey God all the way, right away, and in a happy way? I figure one out of three in my life most of the time isn't too bad. And yet when I think about Jesus and the life that he lived, he truly obeyed all the way. He went all the way. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So there's a couple different ways that you can think about that aspect of became obedient to death. One is that Paul is saying that he became obedient to the point of death. In other words, like that he took it all the way and he died. He gave up himself and he died on a cross. He became obedient to the point of death. But there's another aspect where I think Paul is also saying that, that Jesus was obedient to death. In other words, he, he came under the authority of death. In fact, he put himself under the authority of death. And the reason I think that's at least significant in some ways to think about is because there's really no becoming obedient to death for you or me. You don't have a choice as to whether you're going to become obedient to death. That's just the reality of living in this world. You're going to obey death whether you like it or not. Whether, you know, the, the only way you're not going to obey death is if Jesus returns in your lifetime. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. You are a sinner if you are a human being. Other than Jesus, no one on this earth has ever walked the face of this earth and not sinned. And if you are breathing, you are alive, you are a sinner, and the wages that you have earned is death. That's the, the result for each and every one of us. I don't know if you've seen the numbers lately, but they just came out with a recent poll or recent studies show that the mortality rate is still hovering right at 100%. Solid number. Now, you and I might have some sort of say into when we die, um, just by how well or how not well we take care of ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally. But even then, you don't have a whole lot of say because you can't predict some of the things that are going to happen. You can't predict cancer. You can't predict getting in a car accident. You can't predict the sickness or disease or whatever it may be. And, and certainly there are as, there's an aspect of you know, times when someone might lay down their life for someone else that, that, that skews the numbers in some way. But the point is that nobody has a choice as to whether or not they're going to be obedient to death. 
You don't have a choice in the matter. But Jesus did. Jesus had a choice because he was in very nature God and in him there was no sin and yet he became obedient, not just to the point of death, but to death itself. And I just think that's such a huge concept for us to try and wrap our minds around when we think about this passage here in Philippians chapter two, that he became obedient to the point of embracing something that he didn't deserve, that he didn't bring upon himself, and yet he was willing to go there for you and for me. He became obedient to the point all the way to death. But not only was he willing to become obedient to death, but he was also willing to become obedient to death on a cross, as Paul says. And I think that's important too, because it's certainly important that Jesus died. I mean, that's the the pillar of our faith, one of the pillars of our faith. But I think it's also important how he died, that that he died on a cross, that he died as as a criminal. You know, Roman uh, crucifixion was really not reserved for Roman citizens. It was only for slaves and foreigners who were criminals. And that's exactly how Jesus died. He died as as a slave, as a foreigner, and as a criminal. He died as the worst of criminals. That's how low he was willing to go for you and for me. He didn't just become as a human, as we talked about last week. He didn't just become as a servant or as a slave, as we talked about last week. He came as those things and was willing to be treated as a criminal and actually as the worst of criminals. He went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows for you and for me. Now, that's not always what we talk about around this time of year, because we, we tend to focus on the the prettier pictures and the baby in the manger and, and, and certainly other images that we associate with this time of year. And it's just not always as pleasant for people to talk about a cross around this time of year for many in our world. And, and that's nothing new. Over the course of history, it's been a difficult thing to swallow as part of the, the story of Jesus and, and him coming into this earth as, as, you know, the aspect of him going to the cross and dying and the death that he died. A couple of centuries ago, there was a Jesuit missionary named Matteo Ricci. has an interesting story, but, but he went to work in China as a missionary and to do work there uh, with the poor and illiterate among the, the Chinese. And uh, since he didn't know their language, he hadn't learned their language, what he did is he took artwork as kind of a picture to say, here's the, the story of the gospel in in art. And so he showed them all these pictures and they were just blown away. They were captivated by the story of the virgin birth and and God becoming flesh and coming into this world. And yet when he began to show them pictures of Jesus on a cross, bleeding and dying, they were horrified because they'd much rather look at the images of Jesus and and baby Jesus being held by Mary and in in a manger and cute and cuddly than they would seeing a savior dying on a cross. And perhaps we're not all that different in our culture today. I mean, we love the story of what happened in Bethlehem, but it's a little less pleasant when we think about what happened just a few miles away on a hill outside outside Jerusalem. And we like the story of baby Jesus and many in our world are comfortable with the story of baby Jesus. A baby is non-threatening. A baby doesn't really ask you to do much. A baby's just cute to look at and nice to hold. And, but they're, you know, they're, they're non-intimidating. And yet a savior on a cross, that paints an entirely different picture. And while the manger is certainly important, without the cross, it doesn't really matter. You see, if Jesus didn't die on a cross and if he wasn't raised from the dead, then this whole Christmas thing is just a glorified birthday, right? 
But because he did, it's so, something so much bigger and so much grander. And keeping the cross in view will help you and I appreciate the manger so much more. The story of Jesus becoming less makes Christmas mean so much more. And so as we close out our series this morning, I just want to give you a few things to think about when it comes to what Jesus did and, and what he gave to us in becoming less and going to the cross and what that more means for you and I, and also maybe give us some things to equip us. Because this is not just a time to celebrate what God has done, but it's also a good time to share the story of what God has done. What better time than when people are thinking about it to share the story of the gift of the cross and not just the gift of the manger. And so the first thing I guess I would say is that in going to the cross, Jesus demonstrated his love. In going to the cross, Jesus demonstrated his love. In fact, that's exactly what Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says. Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. In other words, this is the definition of love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What happened at the cross is the greatest sign of God's love for you and me. Now, certainly you can look at the, the world around you and the universe around you, and you can learn that there is a creator, that there is a divine intelligence just by studying the universe around you. In fact, I'm a little bit biased on this, but I would say that you can't really come to any other conclusion by looking at the world around you than to say that there is a supreme being, that there is a divine intelligence, that there is a creator behind all that we see. How else can our world and our bodies, when we look at the things that are going on and how our, our world operates, how our bodies operate, how can we come to any other conclusion? And you can find out a lot about the creator just by looking at the world around you, that he is wise, that he is powerful, that he is structured, that he is thoughtful about how his creation came into being. But the way that you know your creator loves you is by looking at the cross. That's how you know that this is not just a divine being who's up there in heaven and who's just created the world and let it go, but that he has actually come into this world and went to a cross to die for you. That's how much you know he loves you. That's the sign of his love. In fact, it's the greatest sign. I mean, I don't think there's any other more poignant, more obvious more over-the-top way to show your love for someone else than to give your life for theirs. Child psychologist uh, Robert Coleman tells the story. I don't know if I've told you this before, but I, I just find this story intriguing. He tells the story, though, about a, a little boy and his sister. The little girl was battling a disease, a um, very rare disease, and she needed a blood transfusion. She also had a very rare blood type, and her brother was really one of the few matches. And so he was seen as an ideal donor. And so they asked the little boy, they said, would you be willing to donate blood to your sister? And his little, you know, he was kind of scared about it and didn't really know what to say, but he said, yeah, I'll do it for my sister. And so um, they, they wheeled both of them back and they prepped them up, you know, for the, the transfusion. They put them next to each other and, and the blood starts coming out of him and going into the receptacles and going, you know, into her um, body. And, and he's trying to be brave. He's trying to be, you know, strong and courageous, but he's just terrified. And he starts to cry in the midst of it all, not 
just out of the pain, but just out of the moment, not really, you know, knowing all that's going on. And finally, he turns to the nurse, and I love this part. He turns to the nurse, and, and he says, ma'am, when do I die? The little boy was confused because he thought that in giving his blood that he was actually giving his life that he was dying for his sister. And yet in the midst of his misunderstanding, it paints the picture of how much he was willing to give and the love that he was willing to show for his sister. I love that story because that paints a picture of what God was willing to do for us. And the stunning thing is, you know, one of the crazy things about giving your life for someone. I'm sure most of us as parents would say that we would, we would give our lives for our kids, that we would, we would give our lives for our spouse, depending on, you know, how good that relationship's going at the moment, but that we would, you know, <laughs> that, that we would give our lives for those that we love and care about who have treated us the right ways, that we're in good relationships, and, and you know, and, and maybe even uh, that we would give our lives for, you know, uh, little sweet little babies or a sweet little boy or girl. And yet the stunning thing is that Jesus Christ gave his life not just for sweet little boys and sweet little girls, but for big adults who are pains in the rear ends most of the time. That he would give his life for people who would reject him, who would despise him, Sure, some of us may love him and sure, some of us may you know, give our devotion to him, but many in our world and many throughout the history of time have not. And many more moving forward will not. And yet the stunning thing is that our God, despite knowing all of that, came into this world to live and to die and to give his life for us while we were still sinners, Paul says in Romans 8. I mean, it's one thing when you sacrifice something for something that you want or something that you need. I mean, all of us have a story like that, right? Where, where maybe you want to buy something or you, 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 you want to take a trip or you've got, you know, maybe a time uh, you, that, you're, that you're sacrificing so that you can get something or maybe a relationship you'd like to be in, you're willing to make a sacrifice or maybe it's a, a relationship that you want to mend. I mean, we've all got stories like that, that that are a picture of something that we get in return. And yet the amazing thing about what Jesus did is that he gave his life when we have nothing to offer him. I mean, we like to think of ourselves as way better than what we are. You I'm not trying to bash you, but you have nothing that Jesus needs. Absolutely nothing. And yet he gave his life for you because he wants to be in a relationship with you because he loves you that much. I like how someone put it. He said, I think the manger is the second greatest proof of the love of God. The first is also made of wood and it's a cross. And then secondly, Going to the cross, not only did Jesus demonstrate his love for us, but in going to the cross, he also took on the cost. Let's just suppose that you let a friend borrow something that is of yours, okay? And they don't need it for a real long time, but you, you, know, you let them borrow. Maybe it's, we'll just say it's a car. Let's say you, you let a friend borrow a car and, and theirs is in the shop and, and so they need to borrow your car. And they, as they're driving it, they get into a wreck. And it's their fault. So, you know, it's on them and the car is totaled. What do you do? Who's going who's gonna to pay the price? Who's going to take on the cost? Well, on one aspect, they can take on the cost, right? They can give you the money for the car and pay for it. Or they can give you their car. 
Or maybe they don't have the money and you don't really want their car, so maybe you take on the cost yourself. And so you, you pay for the money to buy a new car. Or maybe you don't pay for the money to buy a new car because you don't have the money either, and so you, you just go without a car or you, you know, have only one car in your house instead of two. At the end of the day, somebody's got to pay the cost. In the real world, when real things happen, when life happens, there is a penalty to pay. There is a cost to be paid that doesn't just go away. You know, the, the ramifications of choices that we make and things that happen in our lives don't just disappear. There is a cost that has to be paid. Somebody has to take on the cost. And not only is that true economically, but it's also true relationally. Someone does something to you, they treat you in a certain way, they, they, they talk about you, or they, 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 they uh, take away an opportunity that you have. You've got two choices. You can either decide that you're going to make them pay, right? And you can get, we've all been in places like that where we've, you know, someone's done something to us. And so I'm going to make them pay in whatever way that looks like in in that relationship. Or you can take on the cost yourself. In fact, that's in a lot of ways what forgiveness means is to take on the cost and cancel the debt of what's been done to us so that the relationship can be mended. And, and that's exactly what's been done for us. At the cross, Jesus took on my sin and your sin and the sins of all humanity. The only way that God could forgive my sin is through the cross, but cross because somebody has to take on the cost. It's either him or it's me. It's either him or it's you. And this is some of what I think the prophet Isaiah say, is saying in, in Isaiah ch- chapter 53 when he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I was reading something about this the other day. Have you ever thought about just the, the significance of the crown of thorns? It's kind of interesting when you think about the, the symmetry of what's going on. And um, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, uh, Adam and Eve, sin comes into the world through Adam and Eve. And uh, one of the curses that is brought on the land that God brings on the earth is that thorns would grow up on the land. And then it's Jesus on the cross who shows up with a crown of thorns on his head. And I think one of the things that God was doing there is giving a a visible witness that his son is taking on the curse of the earth, sin's curse on himself. He's taking on the the cost. It's no small significance, I think, that Jesus has a crown of thorns on his head. I I think about a verse in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that, that Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And even though the Roman guards put it on his head, I think there's something going on there with the sovereign work of God, that it's there as a witness that Jesus is taking the crown of thorns, the curse of the earth, the curse of sin on himself that you, so that you and I can have a crown of a different kind, a crown of righteousness. But it's only available because he took on the cost for you and for me. So as we wrap up our time this morning and head into the Christmas holidays, just want to give you three things in particular for what it means for you and me that Jesus Christ came, that he humbled himself, and that ultimately he gave himself on the cross. And the first is, is this, that you are not alone in the midst of whatever you're going through. 
You're not alone in the midst of the hustle and bustle of the season, the hustle and bustle of life, the joys, the, the, the traumas, the hard times, the good times. One of the names of Jesus that, you know, we talk about it some, but we tend to talk about it a little bit more around this time of year is the name Emmanuel, literally God with us. And, and certainly the manger and Jesus coming into this world is a beautiful picture of the sentiment of God being with us, the creator of the universe, the, the God of the universe, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the king of kings and the Lord of lords would become a man like you and me and that we come into this earth to be like one of us. But it's through the cross that we truly see and experience the ultimate expression of Emmanuel, of God with us. As Isaiah says, it's through his suffering that we find comfort and healing and peace. When uh, Marcy and I were in Vietnam, went to Vietnam several years ago. Man, it feels like it's been a long, long time ago, but um, it's been 11 years, 2008, since we went to Vietnam. And one of the things that we got to do, we were right around the corner from the Hanoi Hilton, where Senator John McCain was, um, was kept as a POW, and we got to see his flight suit and um, it's really not a whole lot to it, but it was just neat to, to be able to see that. And, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I saw a story and I was reminded of it um, just, just recently uh, about him and, and just an experience that he had in, in, the, uh, in the POW camp that he was in in Vietnam. I just wanted to read this to you. He said, when I was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, my captors would tie my arms behind my back and then loop the rope around my neck and ankles so that my head was pulled down between my knees. I was often left like that throughout the night. One night, a Vietnamese guard came into my cell. He put, his finger to my, he put his finger to his lips, signaling for me to be quiet, and then he loosened my ropes to relieve my pain. The next morning when his shift ended, the guard returned and retightened the ropes, never saying a word to me. A month or so later on Christmas Day, I was standing in the dirt courtyard when I saw the same guard approach me. He walked up and silently stood next to me, not even looking at me. Then he used his sandaled foot to draw a cross in the dirt. We stood wordlessly looking at the cross, remembering the light of Christmas, even in the darkness of a Vietnamese prison camp. And so this Christmas, whether it be in our troubles or whether it be in our joys, may the cross speak to us even more profoundly than the manger, because it's through the cross that our Savior died for us to truly be with us, Emmanuel, forever. Secondly, Jesus giving himself on the cross means that you are worth the cost after all. A um, couple of years ago, he does this more than just once in his lifetime, but um, I, I remember this distinctly. A couple of years ago, Cruz came up to me and I don't even remember what we were doing, but, but he said, Daddy, I love you. I said, bud, thanks. I said, how much do you love me? And he thought about it for a second. And he said, well, daddy, I love you more than my eyeball. I told you this a couple of weeks ago that, you know, when you're young, one of the things that you measure someone's love for you is, is by how much they give you, right? So like, as, as Christmas presents roll around, right? How much our parents love us when we're little has a lot to do with how many and how big they are. But hopefully as you get older, you start to realize your definition changes and it evolves a little bit, that you realize it's not just what someone gives to you, but it's what they're willing to give up for you. 
or to put it a different way, how far they're willing to go for you. Maybe it's an eyeball. For Jesus, it was death. You think about what Jesus did for you and the picture of love that he paints for you and you look at the sacrifice that he gave for you. Jesus loves you to death. And we use that phrase sometimes and, and, and we, 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 not to say that we don't mean the significance of it, but we, we, don't, we don't really go that far in most areas of our lives, but Jesus did. He loves you to death. There's an old Christmas song that we sing this time of year certain songs that we sing this time of year that we don't sing other times of year, but the song goes like this, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Some of us need to be reminded that because not only did Jesus come and he humbled himself and he emptied himself in his coming, but ultimately he gave himself in his dying, that you are somebody that you are worth it. And I know this time of year can be up and down for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. But I hope that more than anything, you're reminded of just how loved you are. That for Jesus, you were worth it. May your soul feel its worth, not just at Christmas time, but all year round when you think about what Jesus Christ did for you. And then finally, Jesus giving himself on the cross means that he must be exalted above all. We haven't really talked about this part of the passage a whole lot, but kind of as the concluding thoughts of what Paul gives and the, the, the pinnacle of the passage, Paul ends it by saying, therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. I've told you this before. Anytime you see that word, therefore, um, in in, in scripture, you need to ask yourself, what's it there for? Because it's always gonna connect what, what has just been said to what is about to be said. And so Paul is saying, in other words, in light of what Jesus did in becoming less, In all of these ways, God exalted him to so much more, to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question for you and I this Christmas is, will we? Because we can read that scripture and we we can sing songs, but the question is, will we exalt him in our own lives? We sang the song earlier and I asked Jeremy to sing that song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth receive, not her baby, not her cute little cuddly baby in a manger, but her king, her king. You know, it's one thing to talk about Jesus as our our, our Lord and our savior. It's another thing to live under his authority as our king. But the reality is he came and he demonstrated his love for you. He, he took on the cost of your sin and my sin, not so that we would just adore him and love him, but we would bow before him and worship him as our king. Jesus became less so that you could have so much more. And my prayer is that for us this Christmas and every day around the calendar, that he would be so much more in our lives than just a baby in a manger or just a thought around Christmas. 
but that we would exalt him above every name, starting today.